From KCRW, this is Greater LA. I'm Steve Chiotakis with the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Just one week after a gunman killed 11 people and injured nine others in a mass shooting during Lunar New Year celebrations in Monterey Park, nearby in the city of Alhambra, revelers also gathered to celebrate and remember. Most of the people who live in Alhambra, on the western end of the San Gabriel Valley, are Asian American, and in spite of their sadness, in spite of their fear, people came out to mark what's usually a happy time of year. Sarah Hugh Young, who lives in Alhambra, was there with her kids. Resilience is the name of the game, right? We're all here. Everyone is is smiling. Everyone showed up. These performers are here to share, you know, what they have, um, and it's it's just amazing to see. Everyone collected together despite the rain, despite the current events, just to appreciate all of us together. Yeah, it's especially heartening and encouraging. KCRW's Robin Estrin was there covering it for us, and she's with us right now. Hi, Robin. Hey, Steve. So Sarah Hugh Young sounded pretty upbeat, right? Was that the mood? To a certain extent, it was. There were hundreds and hundreds of people gathered there. A lot of families with young kids watching a lion dance performance. There were dancers and drummers and a parade down Main Street. The kids loved it. I talked to a young boy named Alfred who was there with his family. What's your favorite part of the festival so far? Can I ask? Can I ask? Ask them. What's your favorite part? Uh, Celebrating and watching the dragon and food. What was the yummiest thing that you ate today? Uh, We're going to go eat dumplings. Lots of excitement there. Um, And then midday, it started really pouring. And there were lots of tents, people crowding under the tents for shelter. And that's when I started talking to people about the cloud hanging over the event, literally, metaphorically. Um, Here's Tam Trung, who lives in Pomona. Yes, I actually wanted to leave because because of the shooting. What, What were you feeling? Because I'm scared. I don't know, like, when someone's going to, like, pull out a gun and then shoot people. It's scary. Yeah. As Sarah Hugh Young told me, the fear Trung described isn't new. Honestly, the last three years with all the anti-Asian hate, I'm not going to let it stop us because... But still, she said... ...control us, and I don't want fear to control us. We want our, you know, appreciation and of culture and family, too, instead. Robin, the young man whose family owns the Lilai Ballroom in Alhambra stopped the Monterey Park shooter before he could hurt anyone there at that dance club. He he was honored yesterday, right? His name is Brandon Say. Yeah, that's right. Brandon Say is being heralded as a hero by this community. You know, he's being talked about as someone who put himself in harm's way to save lives. So a lot of people who came out to celebrate yesterday weren't just there to celebrate the Lunar New Year. They were there to celebrate him specifically. One Alhambra woman I spoke to named Becky Pang was holding a sign that said, Brandon Say is our hero. Once I saw Brandon on the agenda, I had to be here. I had to make a sign. I wanted to show him that he means a lot to us. He's a real-life superhero, a real-life Asian superhero. That's amazing. So I'm so happy, very emotional, and rest in peace to all the victims, too. You can really hear the emotion in her voice there. So in honor of Say, there were speeches by officials and politicians in Southern California and beyond, including one from Congress member Judy Chu. She represents the West San Gabriel Valley. It was so amazing that I called Brandon 
and asked him to be my guest at the President's State of the Union Address next week. But guess what? Only an hour after I talked to him, President Biden himself asked him to be his guest at the State of the Union. One by one, members of the Senate, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors, the sheriff, all came to the podium to thank Say for his bravery, his heroic act, as they called it. Then they'd give him a plaque and pause for a photo. Through all of this, Say himself was somber. He didn't seem like an attention-seeking person. He was wearing a dark suit. He was sitting and listening with a very still expression. And then he spoke. Uh, Bear with me for a moment. I'm quite new to this. He expressed appreciation for all the support. The situation still feels so surreal to me. All your words of encouragement and praise have empowered me to reflect on my life and my personal philosophies. I realized that life is fragile. I feel that we as a community to spend our precious time reaching out to one another. Most of the victims I knew personally, they would always come by the dance studio and I considered them friends. They were some of the most caring people I have ever met. And for them to be taken from us is such an excruciating experience. I wish for all the victims' families be able to heal. I pray for them to be able to find joy again. The start of the new year has been extremely difficult, but we have the rest of the year to spread compassion and build back our community. Say also gave this vague call to action. I want everyone to take the time to grieve to mourn, to recover. But after, I want us, the people of this nation, to take action. For those who came out out here today, and for those who are listening, I just want to say thank you. God bless America. Wow. It sounds like Brandon Say has been going through a lot, um, as so many other folks have as well. And you talk to a lot of those folks, right? Yeah. Say's well-being was on people's minds as they listened to him speak. Here's Pasadena resident Akiko Liu, who I caught up with after. He's just survived a near-death experience and suddenly he's getting pulled left and right by news and stuff. I mean, I don't know. It's like such a weird feeling. I hope he's okay, you know. And the festival prepared for this. There was a mental health tent set up there for people in the community who needed a little extra support. Yeah, support the name of the game going forward for a lot of folks uh, in a in a community that's trying to come back together, celebrating the Lunar New Year, hoping everyone involved will be okay. KCRW's Robin Estrin, thank you for your reporting. Thank you. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. 
Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car. Already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com slash cars. Well, while people gathered outside for the official Lunar New Year celebration, they also gathered inside the area's many Chinese restaurants. Among those folks who understand the importance of food in the San Gabriel Valley is L.A. native David R. Chan. He's a retired lawyer who says he's eaten at more than 7,000 Chinese restaurants all across the U.S., meticulously documenting his journeys and sharing them online. Chan was back in the SGV as the community continues to try to heal after the tragic mass shooting in Monterey Park. And David Archan, thanks for joining us, and Happy Lunar New Year to you. Thank you very much, Steve, and thanks for having me on. You were you were in nearby Rosemead for, for the celebration over the weekend. Did people want to talk about what happened in Monterey Park? I think among family members, I think that, you know, we're really more interested in getting together as a family and, and, and uh, meet, meeting with each other. On the other hand, uh, actually on uh, the previous Sunday, which is the day after the shooting, uh, there was a lot of apprehension, and my wife was concerned about, well, do we really want to go into the San Gabriel Valley and and, and be at a place where there are a large number of people have gathered? But, you know, we got over that, and then when we actually got to Alhambra, that's where uh, that particular meeting was, uh, it was just a a normal family, family gathering. Is a normal thing, but obviously something you know was there was a large weight, I'm sure, among so many people in in the San Gabriel Valley. Why did you feel the need to go back um, so soon? Well, I think it's a case of Chinese New Year being so important to the Chinese community, not in this, not just in this country, but uh, around the world, because it's been said Chinese New Year is kind of like uh, Amer- all of the American holidays, Christmas. New Year's, Fourth of July, all rolled up into one. And even in this country, let's say there were some kind of tragedy on Christmas, I don't think people would cancel their Christmas celebrations just because of something like that. And when you have a event like Chinese New Year's, which is even more important to the, important to the Chinese, I think it's it's clear that uh, you know the uh, the commemoration goes on. Commemoration goes on. It runs deep, obviously, culturally and, and through family, also through food, right? Food yes. plays a big role in the in the Lunar New Year, and our reporter Robin Estrin also talks about it. Tell us a little more about the food connection with, with the Lunar New Year. At the start of the year, everybody's wishing for a auspicious New Year. Uh, people are always talking about having good health and good fortune. And there are a number of Chinese foods that are traditionally eaten at Chinese New Year uh, because they have auspicious names. Uh, so it's not the food per se, but for example, there's this one Chinese vegetable called fatoy, uh, which is kind of like a seedweed type of vegetable. And during the year, you may see it, but not that often. But at New Year's, you know, it's at everybody's table because uh, the, the Cantonese greeting for Chinese New Year is Gung Hei Fat Toy means something about prosperity or, or good uh, good fortune or something like that. So that Fat Toy sounds like the vegetable Fat Toy. Sounds like something highly auspicious. 
So there are uh, any number of dishes that fall into that category. You're a an Angelino and have been here for a long time. You were born in L.A., right? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. You've seen the San Gabriel Valley change over the decades. I mean... Oh, yeah. Definitely. How long How long have you been going there, and, and what kind of changes have you seen? It's interesting how the San Gabriel Valley became one giant Chinese and Asian community, uh, because at one time, Monterey Park was a hotbed of Ku Klux Klan activity. That was like in the 1920s and 1930s. And Los Angeles has a strange or interesting history of housing segregation that's completely different from any other city in the United States. That's because Los Angeles boomed so quickly. As I recall, in 1900, there were uh, 100,000 people in Los Los Angeles. In 1930, there were 1.3 million, okay? Which means most of the housing stock of the city was built in that time period, which just happened to coincide with the introduction of something called the Racial Restrictive Covenant, which was a provision in deeds which said, okay, this as a condition of this property that it can only be occupied by people of the Caucasian race. Okay? So because of that, uh, Chinese, Japanese, and all the minorities in the earlier, in the first half of the 20th century, basically were restricted to living in houses built before the period of time where these covenants came into effect, which means we were segregated in East L.A., South L.A. Those are probably the main locations. So that's kind of the background. And then you had your uh, barriers of segregation started to come down. You had properties without these deed restrictions, and you had new developments where there were no neighbors to stop minorities from moving in. So as soon as that happened, a lot of our family friends moved into Monterey Park. So even though we didn't move out there, uh, you know, we uh, did become familiar with the area probably in the late 1960s. And then subsequent to that, Monterey Park was advertised uh, as the Chinese Beverly Hills to, to uh, overseas Chinese. And that was the beginning of an influx of a large number of Chinese coming to the United States from Hong Kong and Taiwan. And that's basically why we have a Chinatown out there of maybe 600,000 people now. How did you react, David, when when you heard details about uh, the killer, the man who who opened fire at the the Lunar New Year celebration in in Monterey Park? He was an older, he was an older Asian-American, right? I actually was not surprised because when they talked about the venues involved, those venues are really attended primarily by older people because my wife and I, for a while, were part of a, a senior dancing venue uh, at another location in Monterey Park. And basically, most everybody in, in that uh, group was over 60 years old. So it's not surprising to find that uh, there was a similar demographic to the dance studios and, you know, why would somebody shoot up the dance studio? Well, at the time, that was a mystery, but perhaps it was somebody who had patronized the dance studio. So actually, I wasn't surprised to find it was an older gunman. Do, do you think this shooting, David, has, has changed the area 
uh, forever. Do you think this might actually inspire more pride? It will have a lasting effect on the community for a number of reasons. I think initially when you just, all you heard was that uh, all these people have been killed in Monterey Park. I think uh, the first thing you thought about is anti-Asian hate. And even though it turned out not to be the case, I think that people started thinking, well, you know, maybe we are more vulnerable here than we thought. And on the other hand, it's also kind of brought the community together uh, to the extent that they decided, well, you know, we're not going to be intimidated uh, by this this type of event. We're going to continue to celebrate our, our cultural and and, and and celebrate the New Year's uh, traditions. And I think in that way, it's sort of strangely positive. David R. Chan, retired lawyer and Chinese restaurant chronicler. David, thank you for coming on and, and explaining to us and giving us really some, some good insight into the community. And and uh, happy Lunar New Year to you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and a happy New Year to you, too. Still to come, the police union in Santa Ana is going after two city council members in an effort to get them recalled. Gustavo has the details from Orange County on the other side of this. Moving on now with Greater LA from KCRW, I'm Steve Chiotakis. Recall elections are becoming more and more part of California's political landscape. The latest one is in Orange County. Santa Ana's powerful police union is filing to oust a couple of members of the city council, something they've done in the past successfully. Gustavo Ariano is a columnist for the LA Times and a regular right here on Greater LA. Hey, Gustavo. Hola, Steve. All right, so we're talking a couple of city council members in Santa Ana, Jesse Lopez and Ty Viet Fan. Talk about why they're being targeted by the police union and what it's all about. So recently, the Santa Ana City Council passed to approve a one-year contract with the police off, you know, with their police department, calls for raises, but also calls for um, the city's not going to pay into the retirement accounts, the health insurance of the retirement accounts for police officers anymore. And more specifically is asking the longtime head of the police officers union, Jerry Serrano, that he can no longer uh, basically just be a union president. He, In other words, he has to be back on patrol or back in official services. So for years, Jerry Serrano only focused on his union role at the expense of everything else. And so because of that, uh, the police officers union saying no. And why focusing on Ty Viet Fan? Because remember, it was a majority of the council that passed this. So why Ty Viet Fan and Jesse Lopez? They have been some of the more outspoken council members about being more uh, about holding the police department more accountable and also just calling out other stuff in the city in terms of housing inequities and all that. In other words, they're the most progressive council members. They're also women. So, yeah, go for them. I mentioned this at the top that that this isn't the first time the police union's gotten into the politics of the of, of a city council in Santa Ana. Tell us about their last recall campaign and, and how it worked out. Yeah, under Serrano, the police officers union has a lot of power in Santa Ana over the past 
geez, really in the past five years. So just to show how they've flexed their power in the past, in 2020, you had two council members at the time, Cecilia Iglesias and Juan Villegas. They spoke out against a proposal to give basically $25 million worth of raises to the police officers union. And Cecilia Iglesias was a Republican. Juan Villegas was a sheriff's deputy with Orange County. And nevertheless, the police officers union targeted them. It was a successful recall. They were able to replace them with uh, council members that agreed more with the police officers line. And it's different this time because Santa Ana is a very liberal city. So no one was going to stand by a Republican. I had a lot of friends that said, yeah, we're going to vote for Ceci. And I'm like, well, and you're going to be voting for what the police officers union, which you also oppose, want. So, all right. And then Villegas, of course, was not going to get support because he was law enforcement as well. But in this case, you do have a younger crop of activists ready to fight against the police officers union and protect Fan and Lopez. You mentioned the head of the union, um, Serrano, and there's it's not just a rift, by the way, with the council, right? There's a rift between Serrano and the police chief, David Valentin, right? Oh, my God. This is like an episode of The Wire. Like, you have the police chief who was brought in after the previous police chief was fired, after Serrano alleged, and other police officers in lawsuits were alleging all sorts of corruption against them. And it's such a mess that the mayor, Valeria Mesqua, who's a conservative Democrat, she has said there is a cancer in her police department on both sides of the equation, and she just does not want to have it. She's going to support the police officers, period, or law enforcement, but it's like, come on, guys, and really, it's guys, come on, guys, like, grow up, get the city, you know, focus on what need what the city needs, which is better law enforcement. Do you think the recall will be successful? I mean, their record is actually pretty good, right? Oh, yeah. We all know that recalls are very expensive, but the police officers union has that money. They also have just again over the past, I want to say the past two years, the Santa Ana City Council, because a majority of the council are progress or proud progressives uh, united under the Bernie Sanders campaign back in 2020. So they have been trying to pass things like rent control and other progressive measures. So. If there's a recall against two of those, then that means there's a, a possibility to be able to knock down that progressive majority. So I expect to see a lot of other uh, groups that are against them to fund it. And now that's the money. Money's important, but at the end you need votes. So what you have had over the past two years, again, a very grassroots uh, effort to get more people power onto the Santa Ana City Council. So it's going to be the epitome of David versus Goliath. But, you know, who won at the end between David and Goliath? Uh, the guy with the slingshot, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fan and Lopez held a, a press conference earlier today. What, what are they saying about the recall effort? Yeah, very telling that this is going to be a battle royale. So they both decried this attempted recall against them. Jesse Lopez pointed out that this is going to cost taxpayers a million dollars in a city that needs every penny to be able to help its citizens. Backing them right there was uh, Vincent Sarmiento, who was the former mayor of Santana, now an Orange County supervisor, Ada Briseño, the head of the Democratic Party of Orange County, and Jonathan Hernandez, himself a Santa Ana council member. And so they've you know, they're ready. They are ready to fight this. They are ready to decry what they see as overreach by Jerry Serrano and the police officers union. And of course, the police officers union is ready to say, like, well, uh, we have our case against you. Let the voters decide. Gustavo Ariano, columnist for the L.A. Times, our regular here on GLA. Gustavo, as always, thanks. Gracias.
That's going to do it for us this evening. Tomorrow on GLA, those bottle shops that sell non-alcoholic drinks look to dry January for a lot of business. How have they done as the month is wrapping up? That's tomorrow on this program. Share your thoughts with us, maybe even share a story. And we'd be honored to be in your podcast lineup as well at our website, kcrw.com slash GLA, or get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Sonia Guys, Phil Richards, John Meek, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Mike Vogel, and Christian Bordall all put hard work into tonight's episode. I'm Steve Chitakis. Thank you for your time and your ears. Have a great night.